FDIC and live from the Trustmark Studios, we welcome in for this Monday, fallish day, at least this morning, Douglas Carswell, President and CEO, Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Paul. I'm on great form. How are you? Good. You have a good weekend? Wonderful. I watched uh, Ole Miss. I went up to watch them play. Oh, did you? Uh, an amazing what? game. Would you wear blue or did you wear red? Would you, which one did you wear? Um, I was I was wearing red. Um, I've just about understood the rules of football, and the more I the more I discover about it, the more I love it. Well, um, it's a heck of a lot safer than uh, the football overseas and soccer and things such as that. There's 125 people in that stampede. Indonesia died. Oh, just terrible. absolutely crazy. Terrible, terrible. Um, let's jump into this because I've got lots to talk to you about. The charter school situation. I was reading something about this, and um, I was. I was hoping that we'd be further along. I understand the resistance of this. I understand the power we have in this state, not power that we have, but the power of the education lobbyist and the machinery that turns from the parents' campaign to people who um, want to feed off of public education. But it is very, very politically powerful, and we know that. Yeah. Um, so. Where are we? What's your analysis of this? Let's start with a few basics. I mean, charter schools in pretty much every state where they've ever been tried mm. raise standards and give the kids who go to them a better life chance. Now, the evidence of that is overwhelming. So charter schools are a force for good. Not, un not unreasonably, in order to set up a charter school, you need to get the approval of something called the Charter Authoriser Board. Now, you might imagine that if you were called the Charter Authoriser Board, you would be in the business of approving charter schools. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, our Charter Authoriser Board in Mississippi has been cheerfully turning down applications to set up these life-changing schools for a decade. We've, we've only got a mere eight charter schools in the entire state. Last week, five applications went before the board and four of them were turned down. In other words, the board did what it seems to do rather well, which is to say no to people offering life-changing charter schools. But Douglas, wait a minute. Couldn't you make that argument, and I'm playing play devil's advocate here, couldn't you make the argument that, okay, this is going to keep the... the the quality of the education for these schools up, the failure rate will be down. Hold, hold and we're doing this, and we, we're putting them through the routine and making darn sure they'll be able to survive. Hold on a and, second. And things are right. Hold on a second. The argument put forward by the charter school for not approving schools mm -hmm. is that some of the applications are imperfect. Do they have any idea quite how imperfect the alternative schools that those children are now having to go to? It, it's ridiculous. You can, for example, only apply to set up a charter school in an F-rated district. So by definition, if you're turning down uh, uh, an average application to set up a charter school, you're denying children yeah. an average education and consigning them to an F-rated education. It's an absurd and nonsensical argument. I, I agree with you. And the reason that was done is because it was the only way that the legislature could possibly get this in. We know that because of the forces, the aforementioned forces that I talked about, which I agree with you. Because but, if they would allow them anywhere in the competition for between them and public schools is going to be a little to, bit more. Paul, to see, to see how ridiculous the authoriser board is behaving, mm -hmm. just consider for a moment the fact that Georgia has 70 charter schools, Louisiana has 143, Arkansas has 50. Are you really suggesting that the quality of the applications from charter schools in Mississippi is so substandard that we only are able to have eight? No, the, no, fault, not, the fault is I'm not, not the quality of the applications. It's not the fault of Mississippi children. It's not the fault of Mississippi mums and dads and teachers. 
the fault is the bureaucracy that doesn't want these schools because it sees them as a threat to the failing public sector so monopoly. So you're saying that the, the board itself is the problem in the existence to be a detractor, not an, not an enabler. In other words, they are, they're not helping, they're hurting this cause. Its very actions suggest that. It's not me saying it. It's mm -hmm. the actions of the board. For a decade, they've been cheerfully rejecting good applications. Uh, one of the most disappointing no's that they gave last week was to a school that is already a successful school in Clarksdale that wanted to expand to open up a high school. Now, to say no to that consigns children going to that good school in Clarksdale yeah. to, when they get to a certain age, have to go back into F-rated public schools. So was this also based on uh, the, the, the filing itself or the paperwork being askew or something like that? Is that the that reason for that? Bureaucracy that wants to say no always comes with a reason, but the reason is not a logical, rational reason. If, if it's the case that some of the applications are far from perfect, mm -hmm. then I would have thought that the authoriser board would have a duty to help funnel and nurture and foster some of those applications. Instead, we get a sort of Soviet-style niet, and I think that's simply not good enough. Any politician in Mississippi who wants to regard themselves or, or be labelled as authentically conservative needs to recognise that we need to change the authoriser board. We need reform. And there are a number of ways in which we can do this. One way would be to allow multiple authorized boards. Many states in America have this, so you can't have one monopoly institution blocking good applications. Mm -hmm. um, that would be one way. Another way would be to make sure that when the authorizer board gives approval, it's not being asked to approve each nitty-gritty individual startup school. It is simply approving an organization to come in and set up and run charter schools. If you like, it would license an organization to be a licensed provider of charter education. And I think now it's imperative that we, we have both of these reforms. It's not simply good enough to tweak with the, 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 the dynamics of the board. She I has think, been on with me before, Dr. Lisa Kamachara, the executive director. Have you spoken with her? I, I met her pretty much as soon as I arrived. I've, I've mm -hmm. watched intently um, what the board has done. I don't want to personalize this. There are, there are, there are good people on both sides of this debate. The failure is not individuals, it's the institution. The institution has got too much power to say no, and that needs to change. Is there an appeal process? <laughs> this is one of the frustrating things. If there were objective criteria mm -hmm. under which the process operated, you, you, you might think that you could take those and, and they would be sort of actionable. You could, you, could, you could go to a court. Unfortunately, the board has the final say. Um, it's just not good enough. As I, as I said at the outset... So, wait a minute, you're saying that there's not an appeal process within the confines of the, the board itself? No, no. Nor is there a legal re a remedy for this no. because of the way they're set the, up? The, the no is final. Hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about... They're staggered in terms, I'm sure. They're appointed by the governor? Yeah, it's... I mean, as is standard in Mississippi... Um, I think the governor has some say, the lieutenant governor has some say, yeah. um, I think yeah. the speaker may have some say. But, you know, let's not personalize it. I don't want to get into the business of saying, you know, that member of the board said this or this CEO, you know, they're individuals. And I don't think I don't think that would be right. I think mm -hmm. what politicians need to do is to change the, the, the institution and focus on how to reshape the institution. You know, if if we were having this conversation in Louisiana, um, where they've got 140 three 
charter schools or Arkansas where they've got 50 or Georgia where they've got over 70. You know, the idea that a single institution could block the creation of charter schools would, yeah. would be ludicrous. So we, we, we need, let's not focus on, uh, on individuals, let's change the institution. Are we the only ones that you know of that you've looked into this? Um, and again, my guest is Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Douglas, are we the only one that you know of in the surrounding states, Louisiana and, and the others that you mentioned, that base their uh, approval on being an F-rated school, first of all? There are other states which... Um for much the same reason, said that you can only set up a charter school in mm -hmm. areas where education is seen to be substandard. Uh, I, I personally think that the problem with that is it means that charter schools only ever get going as uh, in, in failing neighbourhoods, and they come to be seen as being a thing you do for failing neighbourhoods, and I think that's wrong. I, yeah. I would like to see you, if, if people want to set up a charter school in an A-rated district, they should be allowed to, because it, it, ultimately it's not about the bureaucrats deciding whether a charter school is successful or not, it's the mums and dads. And Every charter school in Mississippi is oversubscribed. Let parents vote with their feet. Let them decide if the charter school is good enough for their child. You can't have, you, you can't have that in Mississippi because if you have that in Mississippi, the next thing you're talking about is vouchers or uh, public school choice. Uh, and, uh, that's, and, and and what, every Mississippian having the same choices that currently any rich Mississippians you, you, have? You just can't have that <laughs> what's, what's in the, the state of Mississippi because uh, it just would not work because of the powers <laughs> that be. Well, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, you know, I'm, I'm being yeah, sarcastic, yeah. but uh, it's a long time coming. I think it's got to happen. The only way it's got to happen, Douglas, is that if the African Americans in our state, the, the poorest of the poor, the ones that we're talking about, low um, uh, the, the, the unwed mothers etc cetera, etc cetera, and we'll talk more about that later if they start unifying and said we want public education choice where we where we put our kids and uh, charter schools and anything else then there is a possibility but it's going to take a while i'll talk more about this when we come back with douglas carswell Thanks. We get back to Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of Mississippi Center for Public Policy. So let's put a wrap on this one, Douglas. What do we do? Because public policy is going to be ground zero uh, when it comes to the 2023 session with everything going on, this and how do we handle the results of Dobbs uh, as far as public policy is concerned. But uh, let's put a wrap on the charter school. What are your plans and the plans of the organization to at least offer some advice and wisdom going forward in 2023. Well, there are a lot of good organizations out there like mm -hmm. um, Mississippi First and, and, and others, Embark, who are encouraging uh, new charter schools and charter school applications, and I think that's wonderful. I think in terms of public policy, though, what we need to do is pr put forward proposals and a bill for multiple authorizer boards. If a monopoly public sector organization after a decade is not up to the job of approving enough charter schools and its monopoly. It's very simple. It doesn't really make sense, though, when you're talking about, you're, ta you're talking about competing governmental no, I think boards, uh, other, other states have uh, public universities allowing public yeah. universities to approve charter schools, and I think that would be that would be something that needs to be explored. If if it's not just mm -hmm. the official state sanctioned authorizer board, but if uh, a public university in Mississippi could also approve a charter oh, school, I, I think that 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 would fix a lot of the the logjam.
Wouldn't it be better to go back and just write a new bill to to, to uh, change some of the rules and regulations of the present charter board? Yeah, I mean, as I explained in the earlier segment, I think that that is needed. I, yeah. I, I think um, changing the way in which they approve so that they're not simply approving individual applications to set up charter schools, but they're giving an mm-hmm. organization, if you like, a license to go ahead and run charter schools. I think that's absolutely key. Yeah. A, a lot of people still to this day do not understand what a charter school is, and we get into a into a... A, a, a pushing and pulling match, mm-hmm. but a charter school is not a public school. It it is a public school. It's public. Uh, it, it derives its money from the public funds. Yeah, it's publicly funded, mm-hmm. but it's run independently of the local education uh, and, and there is the rub right yep. there. The, yep. the autonomy goes to the parents exactly. and, the, and the and the people who put that together, and it bypasses the machine, and they don't like that because they lose. Some of the wherewithal to direct funds. Well, they, the existing establishment sees it as a threat. Number mm-hmm. one, because the money that goes to the charter schools doesn't go to prop up the um, existing um, system. Um, secondly, because charter schools tend to be much more efficient at how they spend their money. They actually spend it in yep. the classroom rather than this expensive local school board bureaucracy. And I think the third reason why they don't like it, it shows them up because for years people yep. in Mississippi have been told that certain kids in certain neighborhoods can never achieve great results and charter schools come along and show that they can and suddenly people realize it's not the kids that are the problem. It's an education system that has a poverty of ambition and aspiration. You know, we've also, we also have this. The argument has always, always been, wait a minute, if you do this, you're going to kill, uh, you're going to kill the other schools. They'll just die. And, you got all, and, and that's, that's, that's proven to be false. As a yeah. matter of fact, well, you, in every case that we've seen, it's proven that those other schools begin to do better. But opponents of charter schools and school choice can't have it both ways. You can't, on the one hand, say there's no demand for these charter schools and mm-hmm. why have them. And then people say, hang on. If you set up charter schools, people are going to leave the existing schools and the money is going to follow them. You, you can't have it both yeah. ways. I mean, if, if it is the case that setting up charter schools means that they're going to be oversubscribed and mums and dads and kids are, want, are going to send, families are going to want to send their children there, then doesn't that tell you something about yeah. the alternatives that you're providing them? Well, I think Moe's on our ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395 is the wisdom of, of Moses. Uh, and Moses basically, or Moses basically says, uh, we need to be asking the board why they are intent on keeping our children in failing school districts. Uh, he's got that's, it. That's it. And he, that's it in a nutshell, right there. He's bang if on you the think, money. If you think being because of your inaction, things are going to get better, then you maybe shouldn't have been on that board. Period. I do want to ask you about this and talk a little bit about this one. The um, the Senate study group, and I'm catching you cold on this one, so the Senate study group on women, children, and families opened the, the first of four series. They're going to have four hearings with an examination of the extent of the problem on what is going on in the state of Mississippi. And we're talking about one of the boards or one of the meetings in the Senate that the, the lieutenant governor wanted to put together. Uh, just to, how are we going to face this? Now, we all worked hard to get uh, Roe versus Wade overturned. Everybody prayed for this, but that's just the beginning of this. We could have 5,000 babies born in the state of Mississippi who would not be slaughtered, but how do you take care of them? That is our responsibility one way or the other, too. And and certainly, you guys at public policy are going to be front and center on this one. But Mississippi ranks worst or near worst in infant, 
and, and uh, maternal uh, mortality. Mm. We, we rank worst or near worst in poverty, hunger, access to health care, child care, many other uh, pertinent statistics. 39% of children in our state belong uh, to households with no full-time working parents. When I read this, I'll be honest with you, it's not the first time because I've said this before on the air. I, and I think I reflect a lot of people in this audience. We get a little tired blaming it on us. And the way these stories are written, and I'm not saying anything about the study group, don't get me wrong. But the way the stories are written when you hear it, it's almost like you're not doing enough. And it's directed at, at, at the taxpayer who, who should be paying more taxes. You know, you could be, you know, celebrating your, your golden anniversary or something, but still you, you are blamed for the yeah. unwed mothers out there. And I, I, I know we shouldn't take it that way, but a lot of times the, the ones of us who are working our butts off um, are being told by the people that we're not doing enough. It's interesting because Mississippi has a lot of these metrics that show, you know, infant mortality is one of the mm -hmm. highest in the country and the child poverty and all, all these all these negative metrics. Um, often the argument is that this is evidence that we need more state action and we need to do something and uh, people need to pay higher taxes so we can have more bureaucrats running programs to address these problems. Now, all of that presupposes that government intervention and government action can fix the problems. Actually, I, I would take issue with that. I would say ever since the Lyndon Johnson advent of the, the, the Great Society, government welfare programs and intervention have, have been part of the problem, not the solution. If, if you look at why it is that Mississippi uh, in, in, in many ways is, is performing one of the worst states in the union, I would say it's, it's because of things like fatherlessness. It's because there's an absence of dads in homes. It's because of broader social issues, which the state, I don't think, can fix, but the state certainly can make worse by spending large yeah. amounts of, of, of intervention, which actually is often counterproductive. So I, I, I think happy, successful societies are those where government is limited. So the idea that we should tackle these social problems with more federal programs ignores what's happened yeah. since the 1960s. I think everybody understands this, and it's been said by some great uh, African-American leaders in, in, our, in our country over and over. If you want to uh, break the statistic, you stay in school, you get an education, you don't get pregnant early, uh, you get married to uh, two family, uh, two, two spouses, uh, and, and those are the ways your statistics uh, increase dramatically. We have 46%. There's a, it, yeah, forty-six percent of the children in our state live in a single yeah, parent I mean, family. There's overwhelming evidence, as you said, that if you get the basics right, you form mm -hmm. a stable relationship, you have your kids in wedlock, not out of wedlock, and you have a job. It doesn't matter what kind of job it is; you have a job. If you do those three things, the chances of you being poor are minuscule. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we should do this. We have a final segment coming up in a moment with Douglas. But maybe we should do this instead of saying forty-six percent of Mississippi children are in a single parent household. Uh, homes. Maybe we should say that 54% of the parents uh, in our state are married. 54% of all are married. And what are they doing right? And 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 attack it from a a positive uh, source instead yep. of a negative source. Yep. But um, it just seems like they're blaming that on that we, the people who are paying the taxes, pulling the wagon, are not doing enough. Mm. And and um, it just gets tiring somewhere. You. You have these government programs, but if they're not working, don't do them. If government programs were so successful, they would have yep. fixed all these problems since the 60s. Oh, God, we'd be in a utopia now. Final segment's coming up next. 
Live from the Trustmark Studios, final segment here with uh, Douglas Carswell, President and CEO, Mississippi Center for Public Policy. All right, so to wrap it up, sir, your final thoughts, and what else is, I didn't have a chance to ask you what else you guys are working on. We are working on a legislative program for the 2023 legislative session, a mm -hmm. big focus on education. One thing I'm really excited about is, is health care. Um, one of the reasons why Mississippi has some of the worst health outcomes in America is because we have got some terribly restrictive protectionist things called CON, Certificate of Need uh, mm -hmm. laws. And we're <clears throat> doing a lot of work on trying to get rid of those. Um, we're also going to produce a budget because the fact is Mississippi has a budget surplus of about $1.2 That's even after the income tax cuts um, earlier this year. So I think there is scope for a really proper no. conservative budget. You guys taking an issue or a side as far as the postpartum uh, narrative out there? Sorry, I missed that. Postpartum? The, 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 the legislation to increase the uh, term for postpartum uh, on Medicare or Medicaid yeah. from two months till uh, 12 months. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to oppose individual measures like that. But in principle, mm -hmm. we don't want to see um, Medicaid or Medicare expansion, because if you hose no. federal dollars at healthcare in Mississippi, while you still restrict the supply, you get massive increase in the costs to everyone well, else. But is there, a, is there a way to, to not call that Medicaid expansion, or is it just everything is Medicaid expansion on this particular case? Well, it is, it is Medicaid expansion, because it means you're spending more public money, um, and you're not Increasing the supply of health care and but we don't we don't cap I'm, I'm not just push back on this a little bit We don't cap our if you fall within the category if you fall within the household income mm -hmm. And I'm not sure we have 750 Thousand people on I forget what the number is 200,000 whatever it is on chips But if that number if we have more people who probably is the case now because of the economy who fall within that poverty guideline they will qualify for Medicaid, will they not? Yep. So that's not a cap number. So is that Medicaid expansion? Well, I mean, it's expanding the amount of public-funded mm -hmm. liability, um, undoubtedly. And, I mean, the history is that every time you have an estimate as to what the cost is going to be, when you extend entitlement, those estimates prove actually an understatement. So I, I, I suspect, perhaps for the reasons you suggest, that um, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to limit and cap entitlement. If, if you the, know. Reason, the reason that needs to be looked at, again, is if we do have 5,000 new babies born here that are not aborted, um, that's going to be certainly in an area where you're going to have more and more of those babies are going to come from mothers, uh, from the from the impoverished um, demos or categories, uh, and and the, that probably is going to be a, a, a larger problem in two or three years than it is now. Un undoubtedly, so somewhere you're going to have to address un that. Undoubtedly, and I mean, I think there's a role for civic society here because mm -hmm. if young mothers are going to bring into this world children and they're going to struggle, then I think there's a responsibility on, on civic society. And I, I think in Mississippi, actually, civic society is already responding really, really well to that. There are a lot of initiatives underway to provide um, yeah. mums in that situation with support. But the idea that you default to looking to federal dollars, I'm not sure is, is the answer. Well, one of the hopes on this one is that they realize uh, as culture changes a little bit, 
that there's more responsibility on on uh, using you know safe practices, whatever, or abstinence, and maybe that five thousand won't be five thousand if they're unwanted. So who knows what's going to happen, but it is going to be a change, uh, and it's one of those things that um, we're going to have to contend with one way or the other. Final thoughts, sir? I I think I think you make a very well made point. Um, it's difficult to uh, find mm-hmm. any fault in what you say. Yeah. Douglas, always a pleasure, sir. Getting Thank ready for the so 2023. Much. It'll be here before you know it. Realize we're in October already. Wonderful. Thank you for having me on. It's you been got a pleasure. It. Thanks. Douglas Kearns, well, President.